0: And if you have your Bibles, we are in John chapter seven. Is the passage that we are going to be in this morning. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want to take a, another moment just to to uh, to thank the team that uh, provided the the biscuits and the the sausage and the bacon for all the fellas and the the cars that were out there to check out. And also, uh, just a heads up if you haven't had an opportunity to yet. Uh, as you leave today, if you go out these doors and make a left towards our info desk, uh, Twelve Stones Dad's actually giving away uh, a a bonfire, uh, a solo stove bonfire that is amazing. And so I encourage you on your way out, uh, make your way by there, and uh, that's going to be uh, a lot of a lot of fun for some dad out there. It's going to be awesome. Um, so as you're turning there to John chapter seven, I want to share a confession with you this morning in the way of a dad regret. All right. A dad regret. Uh, it is possible. We all know what regret looks like. We know what it feels like. Uh, we've had those moments that we wish we could have a do over and if we had that do over. We would do things differently. And, uh, I want to share a, a dad regret that I had over this past week. I mentioned that had the opportunity to go to uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. It was out in Anaheim, California. And I was blessed to be able to take my oldest son, Elijah, with me. And so we went, and, and, uh, and as we went, of course, the, the schedule was full of meetings and, and uh, all kinds of, uh, you know, lots of, of, of meetings, gatherings. Uh, but there were moments of window where you could kind of get out and do some things. And so on one particular day, uh, we were about 30 minutes from Laguna Beach, and so my son loves the beach. And I, I am certain uh, he has gills; like he just he loves the water. Like you can put him in the water, and he's good for hours and hours on end. And so I was, I was, I was telling him, I was like, "Listen, like this is the Pacific Ocean, like." The Pacific is not like the water in the Gulf of Mexico. Like the water in the Pacific, it is cold. It is very cold. And like, he's like, so what? <laughs> I mean, who cares? And, and I am amazed at that. Like, I don't know at what age it happens, but it's somewhere along the, the, the line uh, it doesn't matter how cold the water is. It could be like sub-zero and lips are blue. And the kids are like, this is the greatest thing ever. And I'm like, what are you thinking? It is freezing. Uh, but, but he didn't care. And so we, we made it to uh, the beach and there we were. And what I would say, probably a once in a lifetime moment. I don't know that we'll ever have that opportunity there again. And so there we are, this once in a lifetime moment. And, 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 and we're there and my toes are in the water But I'm just going to tell you, that's all that's going in the water (laughs) because it is freezing. Uh, And so I am there and toes are in the water and Elijah just goes for it. And I mean, he is he is all in. He's all in. He's all in. I'm I've got my toes in the water. Uh, I've pretty much made up my mind that, that that's as far as I'm going. And and what's ringing in my ears is it seemed like with each passing minute, he's like, come on, dad, come on, please, come on, you're missing out, you're missing out, and he just continued, and continued, and I'm like, no, it's cold out there, I'm not going, and and as I, as I, as I replay that event, I'm having dad regret, because I'm like, when are we going to have that opportunity again? I had this incredible opportunity to make this great memory with my son and I refused to do it. Why? Because I didn't want to get cold. And so I share that story. And I still kind of ringing in my ears is this don't miss out. You're missing out. And as we walk through the gospel of John, it's not apples and apples. But as we walk through the gospel of John, I I hear the disciple, John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this gospel account that we've been walking through since the start of the year. And John, the disciple, is all in on following Jesus. He has believed Jesus. His his life is different because of Jesus. He is all in on the glory of God. He's all in on the mission of God. And in a lot of ways through this gospel, I hear the disciple John saying to the world and saying to us, believe. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. He tells us at the end of his gospel over in John chapter 20 verse 31, He says why he wrote this gospel. He wrote these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. And so he is communicating through this gospel to the world. You may be there and you may be examining Jesus from a distance. Or you you may be like as far as following Jesus like your toes are in the water. But, but the disciple John is, is inviting the world and he's inviting us today to go all in on living a devoted life to King Jesus. And as we look at this text, it's going to be another example of the power and the authority of Christ and how He is the Son of God and how only through Him is there life. If there was a main idea of this, few verses that we're going to walk through this morning it's this to which i would say this is an encouraging word it's encouragement because if you take just a split second and you observe the brokenness that's in our world and it seems like it's just a little louder the brokenness than even i can ever remember in my lifetime there is great encouragement in this text here's what we're going to see we're going to see that god's timing is perfect That God's timing is perfect, that His motivation is His glory, and His purposes always prevail. This is incredible encouragement for the believer's life. God's timing is always perfect, His divine timetable is absolutely perfect. His motivation is His glory. God help our lives, our motivation. As believers in the Lord Jesus to be for his glory and his purposes always prevail every single time and they always will. And so let's look at John chapter 7 verse 1 and the Bible says this says after this Jesus went about in Galilee and he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Well, that's a really good reason not to go somewhere. <laughs> that's a really good reason not to go to a place. If there's a place that you know is 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 desiring and wanting and even forming a plan to kill you, you're probably not you're not going to go there. But why were why were the Jews in Jerusalem those religious leaders? Why were they wanting to kill Jesus? And and the purpose is found back in John chapter 5. A little earlier, and we've walked through that a, a, a while back, but it was a feast. It was one of the three pilgrimage festivals that Jews would go to Jerusalem for. And so, so, so it was one of the feasts. We don't know which one. Evidently, it's not that important because that detail is not given to us. But they go to the feast and Jesus goes to a place called the Pool of Bethesda. That word Bethesda means house of mercy. And I love that, that name because Christ goes to the pool at the house of mercy And it was there that he showed his mercy to a paralyzed man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. Almost four decades of this man's life has been spent paralyzed. And Christ meets him where he is, shows incredible mercy on his life and brings healing. And what's amazing is that Christ brings healing to him on the Sabbath day. And when the Jewish leaders saw what was happening and what Christ was doing on the Sabbath They lost their minds. They lost their minds. John chapter 5 verse 18 tells us why. It says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Why were they losing their minds? Because Christ is communicating to them. I am God. I'm a God. I am the one true God. And so they're they're hostile toward him. And verse 2 says that now the Jews' uh, feast of booths was at hand. So this helps us know about what time of year it is. I mentioned there are three Jewish pilgrimage feasts that take place in Jerusalem. And so if you lived within a certain radius of Jerusalem, it was law as a Jewish male that you would go up and you would celebrate these feasts. There were three one was Passover. And that was sometime around in April. And then there was the, the Feast of Pentecost. Which that was typically May, June. Uh, but then there was the Feast of Booths or uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. Those names are interchangeable. And that happens around October. And uh, Jewish historians say that it was the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. It was like, it was the favorite. It was the favorite of the festivals. And why? Because it was marked as a, as a Feast of Joy. It was a feast of joy. Um, What they would do if they lived in Jerusalem, they would actually build a booth or a shack or like a lean-to, and they would build those either on top of their homes or they would move into the streets. And for a week, they would have a massive camp out, and they would live in these booths. And what they were celebrating was God's faithfulness to His people. God's faithfulness to His people, specifically during the wilderness wanderings. How they traveled under the stars and how they were lived... uh, Led by a, power, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and during this feast they would they would camp out amongst the stars, being reminded of God's faithfulness all the while at the temple, this massive 35 acre compound. These massive candlesticks are lit, and at night uh, it perhaps would remind them of the glow that maybe that as God led them in the pillar of cloud by night in the wilderness, that that it would be a reminder of God's faithfulness. And so the Feast of Booths was a major festival. And my hunch is the kids loved it. It was probably their favorite because for a week they're camping out. And so they're there. That's the the, the season that we're in. in verse 3, the Bible says, So his brothers said to him, Leave here. Go to Judea. That your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. And if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed him. Now, this is, a, 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 I think, just a, an interesting reminder for us that Christ had siblings. That Christ was born of a virgin that conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that after his birth, Mary and Joseph, they had other kids. And the Bible tells us about them. One was named James. And James would would one day become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he would write the letter of James that we have in our New Testament. Another was named Joseph. is another way to say Joseph. Another one was Simon. Another one was Judas. And this is not the disciple Judas Iscariot. This was his brother Judas, also goes by Jude. He wrote what's probably, a, in my Bible, it's a one-page letter there right before Revelation. But here's the thing, they're going to believe. They're going to come to that time and place in their life where they believe in Jesus. But they're not there yet. They're not there yet, and so they don't believe. Christ knows that, and I'm, I'm imagining that's a unique burden. Because my hunch is there's probably, maybe many of you, some of you in here listening online, that maybe you have a sibling. Maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a sister, maybe it's a spouse, your husband, your wife. Maybe it's your own father, your own mother. And they've rejected Christ. The brothers up to this point, they've rejected Christ. They have not believed. In, and it is, it, is, it is possible you carry this great weight in longing to see those closest to you come to faith in christ and so the disciples or, or excuse me the brothers here that are around jesus they 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 don't believe and it's hard to know their motives for giving jesus this advice go to judea go go to the feast here's what you need to do you need to show the world who you are like, do those works before others who keeps that in secret like Let's see, let's, let's like, like go for it and let the world know. But their motives, who knows what their motives are? Maybe their motives are maybe like some, maybe someone in the room, which is you, you have not come to that place, that time, where you've believed with all of your heart in the Lord Jesus and you're examining. And so maybe they're, they're kind of at that place where they're like, okay, Jesus, come to the Feast of Booths, let's see what you do. And uh, maybe they're kind of even working through their own faith or lack of faith. At that time, the anticipation for the Messiah was at an all-time high. The Jews were looking for the Messiah. They're looking for a political Messiah. So Jesus is not that political Messiah. They're looking for one that's going to come in like a conquering king, flip Rome on its head, um, end the tyranny of Rome, and set up a new kingdom, and they're going to rule and reign under this new kingdom forever and ever and ever. But Jesus is the conquering king, but he first came as the suffering servant. And so maybe they're like, well, if he gets over there and he reveals who he is and, and, and works in a powerful way, maybe those religious leaders, maybe they'll see who he is and they'll trust him. And so maybe they're like, well, if, they'll, if they believe, then we'll believe. Like they're kind of working through that. But it's a good reminder to see that Jesus's timetable is divine and was set in eternity past. Look at verse 6. The Bible says that Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. My time. Jesus refers to the hour of his, his death, his burial and resurrection. He refers to that as his hour. And we see this language pop up through the gospel. One is earlier at the wedding of Cana and Mary, the mother of Jesus, goes to Jesus and warning him to work a miracle, and Jesus says to his earthly mother, my hour hasn't come yet, my time isn't yet. This passage in John 7, it immediately follows the great miracle of the the loaves and the fish, and how Jesus fed the multitudes, thousands upon thousands. What happened after that? They tried to lay their hands on him, the Bible says, and to seize them as their king. I mean, look at what he did with the fish and loaves. Imagine what he could do with Rome. Let's lay our hands on him. Let's make him our king. But he's not their political Messiah. His hour has not come yet. So what did he do? He withdrew. But again, the encouragement is that God's timing is perfect. His motivation is his glory and his purposes always prevail. The will of God was set in motion for his hour in eternity past. Listen to Galatians chapter 4. Verses 4 and 5. Here's what Paul says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The Apostle Peter wrote in his, in his letter in 1 Peter 1, verses 18-20, through 20, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers... Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Isaiah, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, the incarnation of Christ in Bethlehem, Isaiah says this in 53, verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. This was God's plan A the whole time. When Paul was preaching on the day of Pentecost, after the ascension of Jesus, Paul and the power of the Holy Spirit is preaching. And listen to what he says in verses 22 and 23. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you, Nothing can change his, his plan. I love what James Boyce says. He says, God does not make decisions because He suddenly is confronted with a problem that He hasn't foreseen. He's never surprised, never caught off balance. Thus, there is never a problem that baffles Him or a work that He does not intend to finish. Because of this, we can, and I love this, rest and trust Him for the ordering of our days. What a breath of fresh air it is to know that God's timing is perfect and nothing can shake His perfect plans. And so, Jesus says, my hour isn't here. But then He says, but your time is always here. Your time's always here. In other words, it wasn't His hour to go to the feast, but, but any time works for them to go to the feast. You can, go, you can go right now. My hour isn't right now, but, but you go right ahead. God has granted them great freedom. He's granted us great freedom in the decisions we make. That He's given us a will. He's given you a decision-making faculty. I mean, if you think about it, every single one of you are here because of a decision that you made at some point, either last night or this morning. That you're here because there was a decision that was made That you were going to come and worship. And so I just want to say this because I just want to say I love y'all like crazy. I missed, Elijah, we missed being with our faith family. And I just want to say that whenever you're not here, you are missed. And whenever you're not here, we're missing out. That each of you play a vital part in the family of God as a faith family. And so he's saying, listen, your time is always here. You got freedom to go, you go. In verse seven, the Bible says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. The word can't hate you, but it hates me. Why does the world not hate them? I mean, they're the brother, the half brothers of Jesus. The world doesn't hate them because they are the world. They are the world. They they have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They have not believed. There's not a religious hub of leaders that are waiting to kill them when they show their face in Jerusalem. They have this freedom to go. They don't hate them, but they hate Christ. Why? Think about this. Conviction is an incredible gift from God. And I hope we see conviction as that. It's that sense of brokenness and grief over those sinful areas of our lives. And what happens is that conviction comes as the Holy Spirit convicts us in light of the perfection and the holiness of Christ. Is that whenever we are in the midst or aware of the, the perfection of the Son of God, His perfect holiness and His glorious light shines in every corner of our hearts and our lives, what happens is it exposes, and let's just call it what it is, those evil areas that are in our lives. That against His holiness, we see the pride that rises up in our heart that does not honor the Lord. That against the holiness of God, we see those hidden areas of secret sin that we want to keep hidden or pushed beneath the rug, but in the presence of a holy God that those are exposed. It is against the holiness of God that our selfish motivations are exposed for what they really are. It's against the holiness of God that what we value in tradition is empty. It's against the holiness of God that we see the power and the authority that we long to have in our lives and perhaps to be over others That it, that is Holiness is exposed. It's against the holiness of God that we see our self-righteousness for what it is. And it is these acts that help us make, feel, make us feel better about ourselves and not as bad as other people. It is against the holiness of God that we are exposed to living in the comforts when we know God is calling us to act in courageous obedience. And all of that is exposed against the holy of god the bible says this the bible says that in james chapter 4 verse 4 this is the half brother of jesus he says this friendship with the world is enmity with god the bible actually teaches that to live apart from god to live in disbelief to reject the lord is to be at enmity with god to be an enemy of god Evil people do not like seeing their works as evil. And so what happens is every single person has one of two options. That is to come to him and to believe or to reject him and to hate him. And and that might not be the way we might word it ourselves, but that's that's exactly what it is. But here's the beauty is that God in his grace and in his mercy and his love has come to And He extends His grace toward us and offers us forgiveness and grace and to receive Him, to be adopted as sons, adopted as daughters of the King, gifted the presence of His Holy Spirit to indwell our lives, to fill our days and our hours and our time with purpose and meaning and to live with Him forever and ever and ever and ever. But the world is at enmity with God. So this is why it's not a shock to see the the great depth of depravity in our world. But he says in verse 8, Jesus says, you go up in the feast. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. And the, the brothers just miss it all together. They they're making their way to the feast. They're going about their religious ritual and their tradition. All the while they have missed the fact that the son of God is before them, offering them life and life to the full. And so we might see this. Like, well, Jesus didn't go to the feast. I thought I thought he obeyed the law perfectly on our behalf because we never could. He did. He does go to the feast. He just doesn't go with them right then. He's going to go up in a couple days. And so he's going to go and he's going to observe the feast. And the next feast that will be coming is the Passover feast. And that his hour isn't at the Feast of Booths. But guess what the next feast coming up is in April? It's the Passover feast. And that was the feast that was the hour that was determined that he would be the once and for all Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb who would come to take away the sin of the world. So in verse 10, the Bible says that, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And the Jews were looking for him at the feast saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him going or among the people. While some said he's a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. So again, God in his incredible omniscience, his perfect knowledge, his perfect wisdom. He understands that this would not be wise and right for him to go to the feast with his brothers. Um, I almost picture that would almost feel not exactly, but kind of like a a, a movie premiere. You got an entourage, you got a caravan (laughs) like he doesn't need all of that attention right now. He's going to come, but just not not with them and not right now. But there's this muttering, there's this kind of like, Like it's not loud enough to really make out what people are saying, but there's this, there's this rumble under everybody's voice about Christ. And some are saying, some are saying he's a good man. And some are saying he's leading people away that he's a deceiver. The problem is both of those answers are wrong because Jesus Christ, and this is important. Jesus Christ is not a good man. He is the God man. That he's a hundred percent God clothed in a hundred percent flesh. Our perfect substitute for us on the cross. And so for him, like to, for a man to say he's a, that Jesus was a good man, that option isn't on the table because no good man can say that they are God. And then on the other hand, they're saying, well, he, he came to deceive, but Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. There is one that the scriptures tell us clearly is the deceiver and it is the enemy. And John is going to tell us about that enemy in a few more chapters. But in John 8, verse 44, here's how the enemy is described. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is the liar and he's the father of lies. He is a deceiver. So Christ has come in his grace and in his truth. And his timing is perfect. His motivation, his glory, his purposes will, will prevail. And we see in verse 13, we'll wrap up on this verse, but it says, Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. That the people, I know that this is this is my translation. They were scared. They were fearful. They were fearful if they spoke up for Jesus. They they were fearful because what would people say about them? What would their families say about them? What What would their bosses, their managers say about them? What would those closest to them say about them if they took a courageous stand for Jesus? But yet it was the fear of man that entrapped them. When Jesus Christ has, through His grace... And through the power of the Holy Spirit, given us through His power a boldness to stand for Him. I'm grieved. I can, I can pinpoint moments. Maybe you could too. I can pinpoint moments when I have been in a situation or a circumstance and I know, I know, I am, I am compelled by the Spirit to share the truth of Christ, to share the love of Christ and for fear of man. I kept my mouth quiet. You see this fear that is swirling around in the camp. And Christ Christ has rescued us. And we, through the power of His Spirit, had the great privilege of telling others about Him. And not in our power, but in the power of His Spirit. So they quiet down almost like when you're in a room and the teacher comes in. Like, oh, we can't talk anymore. They see that they're careful not to speak for Christ or against Christ. We've just gotten into the feast and we're going to spend some more time there next week. I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, read ahead. But at this point, I just want us to take a pause and I want us to pull back and I want us to see such encouraging truths in this passage. And we've mentioned it before. Look at God's timing. His timing is always perfect, always perfect perfect. There will come an hour at the final meal during Passover and in another uh, several months ahead where Jesus will say this, my hour has come. Like that hour is coming. His timing is perfect. And by the way, there's, God's always a part of a greater work that we may not be able to see. These brothers can't see what's going on behind the scenes. But God knows exactly what's happening behind the scenes. And His timing is perfect. His motivation is His glory. God help us that we our motivation is. Is for the glory of God to give him praise and glory and honor. Jesus said this after his triumphal entry in John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus says, this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That is through the, the cross of Christ and his resurrection that he is glorified, and his purposes will always prevail. You see, we're fortunate to have the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. We see that when Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. We see his mission. Jerusalem was always on his mind. The cross was always his focus from the birth in Bethlehem. Think about this. The incarnation, he was born to die. That was his purpose in coming to fulfill God's plan A. So that we could be adopted as sons and daughters into His family and be forgiven, because we could never do it on our own. We can never do it on our own. So, be encouraged today: is that we can trust God's divine timetable, even when the time isn't matching up to ours. We can trust and we can rest in His divine timing, and that His timing is perfect and His perspective. I mean, let's just say this. If you walk outside your door today, you probably see the same thing I do. You see, you see your yard. You see maybe weeds in your flower bed like mine that I know need to be dug out in this bazillion degree heat. <laughs> you see that? You see, you see, maybe if you're in a neighborhood, you see people walking their dogs. You see your neighbor's houses. You see trees. But go jump in an airplane. And immediately your perspective changes. All of a sudden, you see above the trees, you see above the yard, you see above the weeds that really need to be dug up. I'm under conviction right now because I need to do that. But, but, but I love how one, one scholar said it, God sees as a pilot. In other words, he, he sees the whole picture. He sees what we can't see, but we can trust him no matter what. And so God sees, God sees Adam and Eve, God sees the cross, God sees you and I. He sees it all. He's outside of time and space. We live in time and space, and God's timing is perfect. And so be encouraged. God's timing is perfect. And our lives are full of decisions, full of decisions. Not all decisions are created equal. But our lives are full of decisions. I want you to join for me with me figuratively. Uh, I want you to figuratively join me on the beach. And I opened with that 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 dad regret, that dad regret, where I'm sitting there and my toes are in the water, and I'm completely comfortable where I am at. And yet my son is calling out to me from his joy and he is saying, don't miss out, don't miss out. And I hear the disciple John through the inspired words of the text, communicating us to who God is, that he is the Christ, that he is the son of God and that by believing you will have life in his name and that he is calling out and he is inviting and calling us to go all in. In. and so for the believer first may I encourage you is there an area of your life that you know that God is calling for more he deserves everything like your toes in the water but yet it's very comfortable up here if you go in you, you know it's going to be really cold and so so you know there's going to be some discomfort there but guess what happens when you jump out there and you're playing for a while it's not cold anymore And you have the joy of enjoying all that God has created. And so my encouragement to you is that if there is a step of obedience that God is calling you to, and only you know what that is, can I encourage you, go all in for the Lord. Go all in, whatever that looks like. Perhaps it's following in obedience to baptism. You're, you've placed your faith and trust in Christ. You believed in Him. He has changed your life from the inside out. But that step of obedience hasn't taken yet. Let's let's get our toe. Let's go. Let's go all in. It could be we're celebrating dads and granddads and granddaddies and great granddaddies and. And, and it is, it's a humbling to, to know what, what, how, what God has entrusted to our care. And maybe we're like, I'm not a hundred percent sure what it looks like to lead, uh, in this way. But, 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 but I know, I know God desires me to lead spiritually. And, and, and so God with the power of your Holy spirit, like jumping, just go all in, just jump in there. <laughs> the Holy spirit will lead and guide indirect. And it could be a specific area of, 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 of service that God has called you to and, and, and you know God is calling you to that, but your toe's in the water and you, you, know, you know what he's calling you to, but you're just hesitant. And I just encourage you, step out in faith and obedience and to go all in for Jesus. And that we would see our time, not as our time, but as his time. And that we're simply stewards of the time that he's given us. And that we would yield our time to Him. And what happens when we do is He fills our time with meaning and with purpose. And it could be that you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. But you have not come to that time and place where you have believed in Christ. With all of your heart, all of your soul. Placing your your entire weight. Placing your entire hope. Placing your entire confidence in Him and Him alone. And today, the Lord invites you into to go all in in a relationship with Him. And He will fill your life with meaning and purpose for His glory and for His mission. And I, I love that the students are sitting right here. And I, I just super encouraged. I just, I, just, I just think right now, like God wants to use you right now in a major way for His glory and for His mission. I think about our... Uh, young adults who might be in the room just think about how God desires to use you in this hour and this time for his purpose and for his glory I think about all of those median adults I think that's what we're called I'm not sure <laughs> median adults or maybe you're a parent maybe you're an empty nester maybe you're retired maybe you consider yourself a senior adult whatever listen God desires to use your time today and to fill it with meaning and purpose for His glory and for His mission. And so I encourage us through the Word that we would go all in for Jesus. He is worthy and He is good and He is holy and He is the Son of God and that by believing in Him, you have life in His name. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for for this time around Your Word. And God, I do, I I thank you and praise you for uh, your living word, living, active, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, every time we open the word, God, your voice speaking into our lives through the power of the Spirit. And God, today I pray we can all be greatly encouraged and find incredible rest and incredible peace knowing that your timing is perfect. Your timing is always perfect. the God, that, that your motivation is your glory. And may that be our motivation. Not for ourselves, but for you. For your glory. And God, to have incredible rest. To know that your purposes, your promises always prevail. They always do. And so God, as believers, may we completely yield all of our time. And may we go all in for you. And God, your Holy Spirit is big enough to reveal in each of our lives what that looks like and what that needs to look like. And God, I pray for anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with you, that God, you love them and you want them to love you too. And that today that you are extending an opportunity of grace and forgiveness and relationship. One that requires us to admit our evil deeds, but to repent of that and to trust in your life, death, burial, and resurrection. And in that, we'll have life and life to the full. So God, we love you. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll invite you to stand with me as we close our service. And uh, we're gonna conclude in what we call a response song. And the whole purpose of that is because anytime we open the word, anytime we, we walk through the word, there's always a response every single time, every time. And so for you, that might just need that. You need somebody to pray over you. Maybe that's what needs to happen in this response. I'm suggesting, so you know, we we'll have pastors here that would love to pray over you. The altar is always open. It's always open. Perhaps there's a, a, a unique burden that you're carrying or just as a desire to come and just lay something before the Lord and to pray or whatever it might be, or it might be just making an altar right where you're at. And it's just you and the Lord and that you would cry out to him. However, the Lord is leading in your life, but let's give these next few moments to the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts and be sensitive to what he wants to do in our lives.